myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is keynote speaker, Dan Fail. Dan is in the business of creating conversations that matter. He speaks at schools, companies, and all sorts of different venues, virtually and in person. You can check him out at danfail.com. In this episode, we discuss public speaking, how he got into it, how he raises his kids, because it's very similar to the way I grew up with my parents. And then we discuss his fear of being alone. So let's get into that interview with Dan Fail. All right, my guest this week is keynote speaker Dan Fail, who preaches authenticity in a lot of his keynotes. He speaks to colleges and a lot of various with the pandemic. He's done a lot of virtual conferencing. How are you doing today, Dan? Uh, you know, overall, Ryan, I am I'm feeling good. It's been a good day. It's been a a busy day, but busy in productivity rather than just like I'm busy and here's your busy badge. It's really the like I felt very productive today, which is nice. That's always good. And the day is not over yet, so you still have more time to produce. Oh, I've got work I'm supposed to do later after we're done as well. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie, there is still a lot of podcast editing I have to do. So how did you get into keynote? I got into keynoting for almost 15 years. I worked in higher education mm-hmm. and one of my friends was up in Northridge and he he said, hey, Dan, uh, I've only got $300, but would you come and talk to my students? And I remember thinking, hold on, you're going to pay me to talk to your students? Bet I'm there. I'm in. Let me take the eight miles and four and a half hours on the 405 to get to you here in LA. Um, and so I was like, and that spark of this was really fun. And then to have college students come up right after my very first keynote that I have ever given. And a couple came up and said, hey, um, this didn't suck. Like I thought this was going to be horrible and it wasn't horrible. Honestly, that's probably one of the best compliments that you can get from, yeah. <laughs> from college students is like, hey, thank you for not wasting an hour of my time. Like, great. Perfect. And it's just kind of been yeah. an onward trajectory ever since. That would be such a it's and, and it's your first one, too. So you've got to be like winding down emotionally, just kind of coming down from that high of being public because public speaking, there is no thrill or rush like there is public speaking, because once you're on stage. Anything and everything will go wrong. It's not can. It will. You'll forget a line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very similar to like theater, you know, in terms of either musical theater or regular theater. Yeah, you can forget your line, but you got to keep going. Um, and so, yeah, you know, a light might not work. The microphone might cut out. You've got to adapt on the spot. And I, I've seen some just phenomenal public speakers over my years. And some of the best ones can can flip a script where if they've got a heckler or if they've got somebody in the audience, um, very similar to like a stand-up concept, you've got to be able to pivot really quick. And I, I can't believe I just said pivot in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm sick of that word. However, 
those on the moment pieces, uh, I think in what I used to do for you know high school theater has just played off with that public speaking area. And I love it. I still get the jitters mm-hmm. and the jitters I love because uh, I just kind of use that uh, the, uh, the energy on stage. Yeah. I feel like the jitters will never go away. Like even if you talk with Jerry Seinfeld or something like that, there's there is that level of anticipation as you draw like clo- as you start to make your way to the stage. Like it just it's at its maximum until you get like to first. I don't know if you're going for a laugh initially, like to icebreak, but for mm-hmm. as a comic, for me, it's like once I get that first laugh, okay, where it it goes away and, and I'm in <laughs> immediately. Let's just go. We're we're in go mode yeah. at this point, and it it just goes from there. Yeah, fully agree. Um, and I try to get that within my introduction. So as they're reading an introduction, rather than doing the whole like, well, Dan's traveled the country and he's won these awards for speaking and blah, like oh, here's his former clients that no one really cares about, like no one actually cares about. I said, rather than listing off things that you will tune out anyway, here's some fun facts. And I and one of them is like, I'm a two-time national like acting champion, but the category was in mime. And then I'm like, well, we don't talk about that. Uh, and so then I'll just like go into the next ones and drop little dad jokes here at the introduction. And and that's how I get my litmus test of, okay, this is going to be a good audience. This is they're they're not down for the jokes yet, but I got enough dad puns that I'll just keep rocking until they finally start to just realize that this is not the standard keynote. This is not a standard, you know, motivational of like, I'm going to get you in your warm and fuzzies, right? Like, yeah, it's I'm not that. I take a very vulnerable, very real. Uh, approach. And I think it catches some people off guard. Um, and I like that. That's interesting. Cause you would think a lot of public speakers would, would be more authentic than they are. And for you to, for you to break through even further than, than those people have in, in, in most senses, that's gotta feel like an accomplishment. Like you feel like you're not doing anything that's outside of your comfort, but to hear that from people that you've talked to, like how authentic you come across or that you are is, is an amazing, what I would call as a comic ability to, to be who you are on stage as well as you are off. Cause some people, you know, it's like they, you know, they put on the suit and now they're that person. And yeah. Well, and don't get me wrong. Right. It's, it's, it's similar to, you know, like Bruce Wayne, Batman, same person, uh, I can't believe I just used a DC reference. I'm such a Marvel guy and I used a DC reference. Please edit this out. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, same person, but sometimes you have to have the persona. And so for me, I still have some of the stage persona, but I consider it as an amplification of who I am in real life. I'm still this real. I, I, I curse more than I probably should. Uh, right. And so like, I'm, but I'm very blunt. I'm very honest. I've joked with people that, my, so my initial speaker tagline was unapologetically authentic. Mm-hmm. And then after some feedback, people are like, well, that just makes it sound like you're an a-hole. And I was like, well, I kind of am, but I'm not a rude one, it, depending on the yeah. keynote, uh, but <laughs> depending on the audience too. But I think having that persona, a stage persona is really just a little bit more. So if I'm me, if I'm a, always hundred percent me, uh, then I'm showing up as like, 105, 110%. Although I hate the whole like after 100% because no one can give more than 100%. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, a little bit more. It's exacerbated, Dan, is what it yeah. is. And that's where I feel like I am. Like I, I just basically turn again to go over the max. I turn my volume, you know, my intensity up to 11 
on my stand-up mm-hmm. versus who I am. So it's if I'm agitated in real life, I bring that agitation up. Yeah. So what do you usually speak on? Like you're speaking to a lot of young adults. I So I run the gamut. I consider myself as a, almost a generalist speaker. However, what I've started to lean into more in the last few years is creating conversations that matter. Well, what are those conversations? That's conversations around masculinity, around uh, the intersectionality of alcohol and consent, the um, how we view leadership and failure. How do you show up for your friends? How do you get over imposter syndrome? And so each of those is a different type of conversation. I'm just of the opinion that we need to stop with this. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Oh my gosh, I'm busy too. And then we just get into a busy measuring contest that no one wins. Uh, and like, if anything, it just adds to our anxiety. That's <laughs> yeah. just no one, no one wins at that point. Um, so if we can break down some of the uh, perfections of social media, and if we can actually talk about our imperfections and be and show up authentically ourselves, I think there's so much power to that. And, and not just in college, there's power to being authentic and vulnerable in the workplace, in teams, organizations, relationships. Uh, and, and I think there's, if you can build upon the foundation of vulnerability, authenticity, and showing up, then there's really a cool thing that can happen. And that's, you, you start to bond and connect on a more natural and deeper level. Yes, I, I totally agree. Cause I feel a lot of things have become, I would say almost everything's almost abbreviated would be the word I would use. Like every interactions and stuff. Oh, I can't, you know, I've got this or, social media you know it's you've got 140 characters you can't can't express real thoughts in in a twitter post and the other thing with like with social media like you're just putting yourself out there and then you're comparing yourself to everyone else's highlight reel very rarely in social media is someone like hey i'm having a bad day or if they do it then someone's going to gaslight them and be like well yeah but at least you're not starving in syria and it's like okay well that's agreed Fully agreed. There are world problems. But to say that you're not able to have a, a bad day or you're not allowed to have a, day, a bad day is garbage. And I think we need to recognize and acknowledge that. I got a buddy of mine, James, and he, uh, whenever I'm like, hey, man, I need to vent. And I'm excited because I'm talking to him tomorrow. But whenever I need to vent about something, he's like, which friend do I need to show up as? Am I your, I'm here and will listen friend? Am I showing up as your fix it friend? Or am I showing up as your like a-hole friend who I'm going to tell you to get over yourself and really like power through because it's time, uh, you know, and, and in those moments, sometimes you need one, sometimes you need both, sometimes you need all of them, but there's a, an awareness that comes into those conversations of how you're going to show up to be there for someone else rather than just, again, that comparison game. Yeah. Cause it, it does seem like a lot of people, like they have to, they have to grandstand their own things like, Oh, you you have problems. Well, I have, I, there used to be a Netflix show uh, with Bob Odenkirk and uh, let's see, they get David Cross. It was Bob and Dave and they had a chop competition parody where they were doing a parody of chopped. And like, it was like, Oh, first guy's like, I want to show single guys can cook, <laughs> you know? And then the next guy goes, well, me and my family, we lost everything in the, in a hurricane in new Orleans and stuff. And so it pans back to the other guy just kind of standing there like, wait a second. How am I going to compete with that? And then the next woman's like, I'm deaf. And so they're both looking. But, and that comes back to, you know, I think overall, we, 
we as people compare ourselves. That is just, it's part of human nature. We're going to Mm -hmm. compare ourselves to everything. A great piece of advice I heard is stop comparing your chapter one to other people's chapter 20. And knowing that everyone is on a journey and knowing that and giving some of that grace and understanding that my journey is my journey is my journey. It's not your journey, right? Like we live in two very different states. <laughs> so our journeys are different. But if I'm not going to be curious about you and ask you better questions other than what's your name, what's your major, where you're from, what do you do, uh, where'd you live, why do you live there? Those are all very superficial. But also, Ryan, I'm not going to start our conversations to say, hey, Ryan, what's your biggest fear? I think that you, you, no one starts combos that way, or if they do, mad, mad power to them, but it feels very awkward. You've got to build up to it over time. And like you said, we stop ourselves before we even get to that point. It's like an iceberg. We stop ourselves at what you see on the surface, but everything below the surface is so freaking cool. And it's what makes us us, but we never explore that. Absolutely. I that's that's one thing too as a comic. Like I've learned, I wasn't a very open person before stand up. I was very, I was very kept to myself. And so, with kind of how this podcast came about, is I treat it like I write comedy. It's like, what's you know, what is the deeper, deeper part of it? Why is this important to me? Is how I always ask questions on comedy because if it's not important, gonna it's gonna be a joke that kind of gets maybe a little bit of a chuckle and then that's it i was like if you don't have any emotional investment if you're not passionate you're not pounding the table for this moment or whatever is bothering you then you're you're just complaining and people are going to tune you out and and i think that is part of and so even as a keynote speaker anyone has a story anyone and everyone has a story it's how you paint the picture of the story. It's how you bring the audience with you so that if I've got you in this great, it could be a very fun story, it could be a very serious story. But then what I love to do is I like to, in essence, like slap you upside the head with whatever's next. So stuff that you didn't see coming um, or the like, you know, it's the hit you in the feels. Like I'm going to make you stop. I'm going to give you that, that moment of, wait, hold on. What's, where's he going with this? And then it's the, oh, snap wow, that was heavy, or wow, that was good, or wow, WTF is, we're like, what is happening next? And then hit them with some data, hit them with some action items, and then bring them back with more story. But you always loop it around to, well, what's the lesson I want them to do? And on my end, I just want you to connect with people in a more authentic and more vulnerable and open way, which is much easier to do than we all think. Yeah. And when you when I saw keynote speaker, I thought of George Clooney and up in the air with his backpack. <laughs> yeah. Most people, when I tell them what I do, they're like, oh, well, I don't really feel like I don't need to be motivated right now. So like, don't, don't, don't do your motivation stuff with me. And I'm like, I'm oh, great. It wasn't going to happen anyway, because <laughs> we're in a random conversation in the middle of a, you know, an airport or, well, remember when airports were a thing. Um, but like in those moments, I think we, we make up someone else's story. Yeah. Right. And so we've created someone else's backstory and then we just acknowledge it. We're just kind of like, Oh yeah, this is my backstory for you. Like, no worries, Ryan. I got it. I already know what you're about. I don't know anything about it, but like, I want to. So what does that mean? As opposed to just living in my bliss of ignorance. Yeah. (laughs) And just like, Oh yeah, I totally know Ryan's whole story. No, 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 you don't. And I can't imagine like, you would just have that on the like you're like you're just on looking to, for people to motivate like they 
I just don't get the old don't use your motivation on me. Right. Like, oh, you look a little Solomon downtrodden. Maybe you need some motivation in your life. Hi, my name's Dan. I'm a speaker. Right. Like that's not that's not how that works. Yeah. I just want to I want to one on one in this airport instead of doing it like I normally do, where it's a stage and people set up and I've got a green room and three bottles of water. <laughs> and just blue M&Ms too. Like just the blue M&Ms is the other part. I think it's fascinating too. Um, Cause when I tell people about some of my topics, they're like, wow, that's like, and students want to be there. I'm like, no, most students don't want to be in the room, but universities are mandated to do most of this programming. Uh, so I, like tomorrow night, man, I've got a mandatory audience of probably anywhere from three to 400 on zoom. We'll see how it goes. Cause I'm going to light them up in terms of values congruence. Who, like, who do you say you are versus who are you actually? You say that you're a good person, but are you acting a fool on Thursday night when college night is a thing, right? And so like, what does that look like for us? Uh, and it, having those moments are important. And I think where, where I saw this as a great opportunity, when I was working on a college campus, I sat on a committee and I kid you not, the purpose of the committee was to identify how people could bring their authentic selves to work. It was university time, money, budget, and like everything. And we were identifying how people could feel their, bring their full authentic selves to work because apparently people didn't. And a lot of it was because, you know, I was a director and the expectation was that I'm in a shirt, tie, and full suit jacket. This was in the South. Yeah. And when it's humid, I look like I just hopped out of the shower and never dried off running from one side of campus to the other to make sure I'm at my meeting. That's unprofessional looking when I show up looking like you just doused me in slime from a Nickelodeon show. It's not a good look. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is how do you unpack all of those things? And I'm realizing that that's how a lot of people go through their life is feeling like they have to put on a different mask or a different full persona to show up and go somewhere. And that we can't continue to function like that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's very I have a day job and it's very I'm 44 and it's just kind of mind blowing how how from one end of the spectrum when I started as a 20 something kid in life, like I started with the telephone company and they had a book like how to dress for your day. And it was a 50 book of like how you wore a suit and tie and everything was clean and pressed. <laughs> and, and that was that was a standard and now people are like wanting you to be more goal oriented and they want you to have be more diversity goal oriented and um and it's it's blowing my mind cuz i've always just been in for the most of my career been a results driven employee like i i do the work well no questions now how did how did you do the you know so you did the job well like how did you achieve those results mhm well but, and that's part of valuing you as a person, but maybe you crushed it. So it's like, Hey, how did you do this? Would you mind showing others? Right. And so a, a lot of times we just don't even allow the second part of those conversations. Um, but also everything, like you brought up, everything's so um, set from the forties, fifties, sixties. And we've, we've not pushed through most of that. Like, why do we have to be in a suit and tie? Like there's a reason that offices run colder, that they're set at a colder temperature because men, A, run at a higher temperature than women, but B, like we also are like full, like, you know, collar around the neck with a tie and jackets. And so like, we're going to be warmer. 
like I used to joke with people. And again, this was this private school in the South. I used to joke, like, I'm going to show up in a squirt one day. Like I'm going to show up in a, like a sarong and I'm gonna make it look so right, you know? And that's, I want to see what people will say. I'm a, I'm comfortable in saying my sexuality is, is I'm a, I'm a heterosexual straight. I'm a straight male, you know, white identifying person. I will rock a sarong or I will rock a skirt and just to like push the envelope of dress code, this universe, I did never did that, but people would be like, Oh my gosh, why would you, why would you? And what about, what would people say? Does it matter what they say? Like talk to someone rather than talking about someone. Yeah. I mean, who are you? And that's one thing with stand up. It's like, how many times are you going to see the same audience again? It's not like they're going to, they're going to come back and remember you from last time. Yeah. Well, I mean, people rewatch stand-up on, you know, Netflix all the time. Like, I don't know how many times I've watched Hannah's specials, you know, from Douglas to everything. I mean, like there's good stuff there, but like you said, there's a story. Can you craft the story that lands a good joke that has good meaning? And I think people are looking for more of that meaning rather than just, oh yeah, I had a couple of chuckles or the, like, it was kind of funny, but it was at the expense of others or, right. And so I think that there's, how we approach things have to look differently because everything else has been very antiquated. And so how do how are we going to show up now? And I would much rather people show up as themselves rather than like what they think they're supposed to show up. How do you push that needle forward so that we're not still operating in those timelines or Mm -hmm. in those outdated, I would say, I guess, dynamics. Very antiquated. Yes. So you're mm-hmm. also a parent. So do you bring the motivational speaking game to the kids? If you don't do good in school, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to have a keynote speech. I will say, so I, I do have a keynote um, that I do reference my children. Actually, I reference my children in most of them, but I, I do have one. Um, so I have a, and I'll just try to quickly tell my, my daughter, super sports. I'm talking like she is sporty spice, but not of the spice girls. She's like all the different sports and she's good at them. Uh, my son, hundred percent, takes after his old man. That's me. We would rather uh, sit. We don't run unless we're being chased, and even then, we're slow AF. So we're not those people. Like we're just like put us in a theater, right? Like put us in, you know, put us on stage. Put it is scary how similar he and I are. Uh, and I remember he was doing soccer because my daughter was doing soccer too, and uh, he was doing it. And he's one of those kids that was like, "Look, it's grass," and would sit and then pick grass or play with the dirt. And we were, you know, my ex-wife and I, we were like, come on, like do something, like do something, anything, come on, like do run, uh, score a goal. Look, the ball's near you, get off your butt and go. And so at like halftime, we were like, hey man, what's going on? Like, you're not doing it. He's like, I hate soccer. I hate practice. I hate all the things I hate running. And I said, okay, great, that's fine. There's still two more halves in the, or two more quarters. Uh, we need to do something. What's your favorite position? And my son without missing a beat goes, substitute. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's your second favorite goalie? What's your third defense? Like, so you just don't like to run. He's like, no. And I was like, well, what do you like to do? And my son says, I just want you to cheer for me. Like you do for my sister. And again, when she's sporty spice scoring three, four, five, six goals a game and he's sitting and we were like, Oh my God, we failed him as parents. <laughs> uh, and so that's when we made the choice of like, well, what do you want to do? He loved theater. Great. Let's put him in theater. And he blossomed after that. So one of my keynotes about understanding masculinity and understanding who did, was I going to put the sports on him? Mm-hmm. No, because that's not what he wants to do. And so figuring out all of that, but yeah, I, 
my kids don't get motivation keynotes. They get the like, why aren't your shoes on? I've told you four times. <laughs> That's the motivation they get. Or if you really can do all this and not complain, we'll go get Froyo. But that's more bribery rather, rather yeah. than motivation. That keynote sour note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's awesome that you like as a parent you you saw, but you embraced. I would say the different path of a child versus. Well, you know, why don't you want to be more like your sister? You know, and it's. I'm sure that's something that. I'm sure he'll look back on and that'll be one of those moments that he thinks of when he's an older and say, you know, this is something. I think my hope as a parent is that they always show up how they want to, mm-hmm. right? as long as they're dressed uh, or like, right. Like as long as they've got shoes on and they're outside, um, but really like that they feel comfortable and confident in who they are to show up how they want to show up rather than again, like me putting it on when, as soon as he was like, I hate running. I was like, God, me too. He's like, I hate sports. And I was like, I don't hate them. I just don't want to play them. (laughs) So seeing all of that, I think if you can instill that sense in them, and again, that comes back to who are you showing up as? Yeah. A Troy Eggman had a similar, he was talking like his daughter was doing sports and she's just like, you know, I wanted to do it because you did it. And he like started crying because he's like, you know, that's, he's like, I want you to do whatever you want. And I just felt he, it's a a guilt thing because you sometimes as a parent, you just don't realize because it's not a. You know, you got lucky the straight line. I hate this. Some some kids just, you know, say, okay, you know, and just keep no. going. Oh, don't get me wrong. That was in that moment. I think we're I, like, we still have to unpack every now and then of like, no, no, no. I need you to use your words with, use your words <laughs> with me. I'm thankful that my ex-wife has a degree in early childhood education. So she gets all of that and is able to help them unpack and use better words. Because I'm usually like, I work with college students and adults. I don't understand what you're doing right now. Catch me up on what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's fun though. I mean, it always keeps you on your toes. And that's, it's such a, it's such a fun, I don't have kids of my own, but I could just imagine that feeling of as a parent, you're, everybody's kind of winging it and some, on some level of parenting, like kids think that they, that all, that it's all set up and that there's some sort of parenting academy that everybody goes to. But every parent I talk to is like, man, I'm just, I really don't know what I'm doing. A lot of the times I'm just. We are legitimately building the airplane as we're going. Like we are mid air building this thing and just hoping to land in one piece. And by land, I mean, make our kids feel successful enough that they want to take care of us when we can't take care of ourselves. Like that's what we're hopeful for. Um, But I mean, it's, it's also fascinating to watch other people parent and I'm not, you know, I'll give like, a buddy of mine just had a baby. And I was like, if you want some unsolicited feedback, we can talk. If you are like, what do you need for me to support you in those moments? Like I'll send you some diapers, you know, it's like a congratulations, like what's, what's going on. And it's just fascinating to see again, all the different approaches, all the different styles. Cause I'm sure people, you know, crap on me and my style with, with how I do the kids and the fact that I'm divorced and, you know, but we co-parent. So why would we change what we're doing? Cause we've got, I think two kids that are growing into themselves, hopefully pretty well. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I, I've had a, I had a weird, I would say parenting as I talk to other people of divorced parents is my mom and dad are still friends. I, I don't like really close friends, like to the point where when my grandmother passed on my dad's side, like she passed, she passed, she was like the first real, I'd say experience I had with death, which was like in my twenties. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
there was a lot of things going on and there was a lot of my mom had come down the day of the funeral while we were all out at the service and she had gotten everything she went to my dad's house you know family's house and she had got the food ready for all of us to come in so that when we came in so she's we're it's a it's a really insane level of closeness that my family's had even though they're divorced that yeah people look at me like that doesn't happen. They get. It, I've never heard of another person that really kind of is on that kind of basis. I'm sure there are divorced couples that, you know, that still, you know, maintain a close friendship or open lines of communication as far as kids. Go. Well, and we do. I mean, we we do family vacations together because we want them to know that there are two parents that love them unconditionally. They're just not married anymore. Um, and like as a thank you to my ex-wife for being so understanding over the course of a pandemic and like everything and just being a great mom, I was like, hey, because we've been in lockdown and LA is starting to open up, can we please do a boozy brunch? I was like, I could go get champagne and OJ or someone could serve it to us. Like just to be like adult time, no kids around. Like, can we just do two human beings that have, have a past that are just going to get drunk over brunch together and, you know, like got a sitter, we did the boozy brunch and we had a great time. I and mean, we, it was like four hours long of a boozy brunch. Um, but that's one where I think like our kids know that we get along and our kids still see us argue every now and then because, you know, my ex will remember something that I said. And I'm like, I didn't say that. And then my ex brings receipts and I'm like, oh, that sounds, yep, yep, you're right. Um, I'm wrong. Uh, and I'm now okay enough to admit, yep, hundred percent wrong on that one. I misunderstood it or, and own the faults and, and having those conversations is so, so important, but that's because we're no longer putting ego first. I put ego first a lot in that, in the initial part of the divorce and stopped a lot of the progress of, of having good conversations. Once I realized it's not about me, it's about the kids. And it's about two parents that, that do show can love everything got a lot better. Uh, and I think it's hard for us as men to do is to put away mm-hmm. the ego and to be vulnerable, to be like, no, I don't have all the answers and I'm trying yeah. to do the best I can. That's where I think we see some sweet spots start to develop. Yes. I feel like that definitely does happen. With, I would feel like there's a, there's a rejection. Oh, okay. I see how it is. So you have a really unique fear, and especially since you have co-parenting and stuff like that. What is your fear, Dan Fail? Um, I uh, have a fear of being alone. Um, being alone is probably one of my top fears ever. It's been a fear for forever, um, for as long as I can remember. And that is one that I've really started to understand a lot more. Um, again, like the irony is that, nope, I was married and now I'm divorced. So I'm alone. Uh, I've got my kids this weekend, not alone. And then I drop them off. Oh, back alone. <laughs> like, do you live with roommates? Nope. I live alone. <laughs> and it's probably for the best. Like a roommates probably is not the ideal situation, but you ever just like try to get the kids. Hey, what about one more day? One more day, huh? One more day. <laughs> Play hooky. We'll go do whatever you want. Yeah. Silver lining of um, of the pandemic has been the fact that, you know, so my ex-wife, she's a, a kindergarten teacher and her and my son are back in full-time school. So my daughter's like home alone because she's in middle school. And so I've been helping uh, with a lot of the homeschooling or home learning, um, you know, whether when he was in half days, I was doing a lot of that back and forth. So I see them a lot more now than usual. Um, so I, like part of me is a little nervous when all the speaking gigs pick back up in person and then I have to travel and like I'm gone for two, three days. Um, I also, 
again, with that whole vulnerability piece with the ex-wife, she called me out because I was doing the like, hey, let's just do one more. Let's go get Froyo. Let's go to this. Let's go on adventure. Let's go to a water park. Let's, it, it was bribing. It was, and she, my ex, called me out so hard in, in a <laughs> developmental great way. But it was the like, I'm the parent who sets boundaries. You're the fun parent. Which one would you rather be? And I was like, well, that's a silly question. I am the fun parent. Uh, but really, she is the, like, she's a lot of fun with them. Uh, but like, I think hearing her side of, you can't just be the fun parent. Like, and I was like, no, they've got rules. Like, they have to have their manners. They don't get pro yo if they don't have manners. Um, but I had to stop with the bribing of like, hey, you're back at dad's. I got you some surprises. Yeah. So it was like, no, like, stop. And And that was like a, I didn't realize it, but it was very much like a buying affection, buying mm-hmm. attention, making sure they making sure I felt validated through their love as opposed to just spending the actual quality time with them. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, again, thankfully, uh, with or with everything closed down um, over the last year, our our conversations, our connections of me and the kids and me with my ex have gotten a lot deeper. And that's because you can't bribe them to go do stuff. It's like, great. We're going to, we're going to sit and do some stuff. We're going to read, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to like, what do we want to do? And I think having those moments has been really helpful because whoo. Yeah. There's, there was a lot of bribing that first <laughs> year, two, two and a half year, three years. Yeah. I get the also side of it too, is when you're afraid to be alone, there is that kind of like, you have to, you have to, you feel like you're just maximizing your time with them and you don't want to have the to leave it on a sour note and then have the risk of them not wanting to come see you because you grounded them last time. Well, and they're also not going to want to come over all the time anymore. Right. So once they start to get a little bit older, high school, and like once they go to college, I mean, I was one where I went to college and I never came home again. I think, I think my mom is still waiting for me to move back to North Carolina where I grew up. And I'm like, mom, it's been a solid 20 years now. It's not happening. Um, but that's, I mean, it's certainly one where the concept of being alone and then trying to date, uh, mm-hmm. is just like, oh, it's. And knowing that they're dating and that they're out and about and having social lives and you're, you know, you maybe get the cliff notes a week later. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of it too, even with the, you know, trying to date in, in, in general, not even in a pandemic, but in general, um, you know, there's some people who don't understand my relationship with my ex-wife. There are some people who don't understand that my kids will come first and that's cool. Or the scarier ones are the ones that are like, oh my gosh, this was a great date. One, when do I get to meet your kids? I'm like, not anytime soon. <laughs> this was a great date. One period. Date two is not going to happen. Uh, and I will let them know. I don't ghost. I hate ghosting. Um, but like, that's one where I'd rather be alone and work on myself than to be with someone and try to get my validation from them. Yes. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's 40 years on this earth, finally understanding a little bit more of self-worth. You know, and it, it's something that, again, that didn't hit me until my late thirties or forties either, that I was like, I always felt pressure to be in a relationship when I wasn't. And I would mm-hmm. try to, I would try to force that to be, to come conjure that relationship. And it just never really happened. Yeah. Well, and the other running irony about, you know, fear of being alone is for years on years, I was an extrovert. Um, and I would say that now I am more of an introvert with extroverted tendencies. I mm-hmm. still love audiences. I still love being around people, but there are times where I'm like, damn, y'all, I just need like a day. <laughs> and it's 
it's really bad when I need that day. And then I've got the kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's movie day, everyone. It's movie day. <laughs> but I think that's what figuring that out of like, who are you? And it's okay to grow over time so that you're not an all extrovert, but we need the, the downtime. And I've learned to be better okay with it. I think my bigger concern is always the like, are you going to die alone? What does alone mean? Can you be alone with your thoughts? I hate being alone with my thoughts because that shit is scary. And so like knowing what, <laughs> how do you unpack alone? Uh, because again, I think similar to you, society's pressures of, well, oh my gosh, like what you need to settle down. I was like, well, I'm 24, 25. Like I need to settle down. Okay, I, I need to settle down. Okay. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't have to be what you have to do. Hell, our vice president, Kamala Harris, like she didn't get her partner until what? Mid forties, yep. something like that. And she's rocking shop now. So I think understanding that alone is okay for some others don't want it. And that's fine. Again, that's, that's your own personal journey. So where do you think that this fear came from? Does this, it definitely came from North Carolina at some point in time, but where do you think like you, this is rooted in? Wow. I'm going to unpack that with my therapist next week. Um, <laughs> if I had to, to guess, to venture a guess, my parents are also divorced. Um, my dad remarried pretty quickly. My mom had had a couple of different marriages, um, but I was a latchkey kid. I was legitimately one of those, um, you know, kind of Gen Xers, I guess, that home from school and was alone basically from from three o'clock to five thirty, six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having all of that alone time, while it was fun and freeing, and I I was never the rabble rouser that like got into trouble during all of that. I think I had had so much alone time that that became part of an identity of a being a loner, right? So I was always quiet in the back of the room. I was always a bit of a nerd. I was always doing that. And then what finally brought me out was theater. But even then with theater, when you're able to wear the masks of other people, when are you ever actually yourself? So knowing like when you have to sit alone, you have to sit with your thoughts. Who are you? What do you want to do? What's your passion? What's your drive? What do you want to be when you grow up? What the hell does that even mean? Like those types of questions being alone, I think I never liked doing. So that's when I started to surround myself with other people so that I could ignore that little tiny, we'll call it a conscience or, you know, that little a-hole Jiminy Cricket who's like, but what do you want to do? What are you, who's Dan? Who is Dan at his core? And and really mid thirties is when I started to really discover more of, oh, this is what I am. Here's who I am. Here's and and feeling comfortable in my own skin. I feel like theater kind of does that, but also comedy wise, you can tell people that have done theater because like you said, they have that put on the mask. So it it's comfort on stage. Like they're totally confident. Like there's no sun, there's no, there's no nervous moment of vulnerability, but that's what you miss when you're, when you're not authentic as a standup is that a lot of times you miss the potential to really get a really good laugh or a really good connection because you're just being a character that's just kind of grazing the superficial mm-hmm. injury. Yeah. Like, oh, just scrape my knee instead of, you know, you know, falling, you know, actually falling down and scraping something so that those people can relate because a lot of people will pretend that that didn't happen to them. But once you, you admit that it happened to you, everybody is like, oh, I've been there. 
Exactly. Right. It's, and that's where that, that concept of, you know, vulnerability, I think really comes back into play of admitting I'm scared about being alone. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh gosh, me too. And it's like, so you're alone in your fear of being alone. Right. And, but you're no longer alone because there's other people who share that. And that's how any and every vulnerability piece plays out. Oh, I feel like an imposter. Oh my gosh. 70% of people in the world feel like an imposter at some point in their lives. You're not alone in feeling like an imposter. Mm -hmm. And so if you can start to break through those self-imposed barriers, societal imposed barriers, relationship imposed barriers, whatever that is, I think that you realize that through sharing or through asking better questions or having some, I don't know, actual conversations that matter, you can recognize that who you are at your core you know, for all of us is, is we have a sense of belonging that we want to be together. It's just how we express that. And so again, like I mentioned mid thirties, I finally started to unpack this, like why alone? And I still have some of that fear. Like every now and then I'll fall asleep. All the lights are off and everything. And I'm like, here you are alone in bed. And it's like, how are you laying? And it's like, what if, what if, if something happened right now, how are you laying right now? How would someone find you? And I'm like, what, where's this thoughts coming from? Because you're alone. Yeah. I'm like, my, you know, and, and who would find you? How would they find you? What would they find? Please clear my browser history. Like what is happening at this point? And I think it's just, how are you going to connect and to feel not alone? And that's a hard one. And especially now we're more socially connected than possible. Technology has given us so many connections to have. And all of a sudden we feel more alone because we're only looking at highlight reels. We're only looking at what a random thought of someone's having, not their day-to-day thoughts. And that's hard. That's hard for us. So since you're a dad do you, and you said your son kind of mirrors you, do you feel like your son has those kind of alone fearing tendencies or anything? Or do you all kind of, do you discuss that with him? Both my kids do in their own different ways. Um, uh, you know, my, my daughter, for all of her incredible sports, has such massive anxiety when trying to talk to people uh, and like trying to interact with her friends. So much so that she will give her phone um, to my ex and be like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't like take the phone, like tell, like, tell me what to say to my friends. It's like, you're literally just texting your friends, just text whatever's in your brain. And so like my, my daughter has that level of social anxiety. My son doesn't have social anxiety. However, because he's not a sports boy, he doesn't like, he's kind of ostracized from some of the other boys and he's nine, but he's like, I'll, I'll run like, and he's freaking fast, but he doesn't want to do organized sports. I could put him and be like, I will time you to run this track. And he will be like, great. I'm in it. And he'll run it, but he'll stop after like 50 yards and be like, this is, this is a lot. I'm done now. <laughs> but he feels ostracized from the boys because he's not doing sports stuff. He can't do some of the girl stuff because they're like girls only. And so he is in this weird place of he's almost into forced solitude when he is such a people person that he needs those interactions. And that's, that's a hard one to, to witness and to try to pull him out and to try, try to like coach because I don't want to do the work for them. I want them to try to discover what they want. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of hard too, because I'm like, God, I I know what you mean, buddy. I get it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to help you, especially right now in the midst of a pandemic where we can't do a lot of things. Not only that, I just feel like anything you help, it's like you're hindering what he wants to do. Because like the way I would phrase is, I will, as a, I guess, as a daughter terms, like your daughter grew up watching My Little Pony say. 
And maybe mm. she watches it still to this day, having friends at school that say, I hate My Little Pony. And so now you have to turn on that show now to get accepted by them. And then then the next step, then it's the next thing that they want to take away from you. And it's right. It's like moving the damn finish line. Stop it. Yeah. And it's so it's one of those things is almost like a bargain. Like, what do you want to give up to to have these people like you? And at the end, do you want to give that up? Because you'll find out later, like, oh, I should have. I, I, who are they to tell me that not to like this? A hundred percent. How much of yourself have you given away over the years or have you hidden from others over the years that you have to like rediscover those parts of yourself? Um, and I think it happens for so many people, especially when it comes to the parent expectations and, and having worked on a college campus for so long, I worked with a lot of students over the years who are like, yeah, I'm here to be this major, but God, I really just want to do whatever else. And I'm like, so, so do that, do the, do what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. And they're like, but I can't cause parents are paying tuition for me to be here. I can't tell them I'm going from this to be a dance major. And I'm like, but you're fantastic. Sometimes that pressure from parents is almost overbearing, but the pressure from friends is it can be scary. Sometimes I know I gave away a lot of myself to fit in with the popular kids in high school and like ostracized a lot of the the people that I did theater and stuff with, because they weren't like, we weren't cool in theater, but if I could get in with some of the jocks and walk both lanes then I was like, Oh, this is cool but I missed out on some really cool friendships that I could have kept and nurtured and been better rather than guys and, and women that I was the funny guy to them. And that was it. Yeah. And, and that that's a bummer to, to experience and look back on that and wish you could change. Yeah. And that, that was where I was like, as a parent, like I would freak, that would be my big freak out is I feel like I'm, my kid would be mad at me for telling them to do that because they would be like, you just want me to be a nerd or you don't want me to be, liked or some you know that in their own mind their defenses are you know you're just trying to keep me Mm -hmm. and it's just such a hard conversation because at the end of the day you still you still feel this way well like i love i love the marvel i I love marvel in general but the marvel cinematic universe really love it enjoy it the fact that my son likes watching wandavision right now like he and i facetimed last friday uh when the latest episode came out and he was like what'd you think so like we unpack it all and I'm like, great, that's mine and my son's thing is, is some of the, you know, science fiction, Marvel, you know, all that stuff. What's hilarious is that my daughter for sports, again, I do no sports. The opportunity came up for me to help be an assistant coach for her softball team. Holy hell was that trying <laughs> so many, but I would show up and I'm like, great, here's what we're going to do. I don't know what drill we're running. I don't even know what a good softball drill is. So everyone throw the ball at each other and see how many times you can catch it in a row. (laughs) Or like, all right, everyone throw it, you know, directly. And now try a pop fly and now throw it on the ground. I don't know what in the world I'm doing, but I knew it meant a lot for me to be in the dugout with her. And she was like, and she even said, she was like, dad, you're trying. And I knew that meant at like a nine and a 10 year old, I knew that meant like, in the South, we call that bless your heart. (laughs) So I was like, I'm here, Munchkin, I'm here. And and dad is, is trying, but you're not going to learn squat this year in (laughs) softball in terms of any mechanics to get better. And I am so sorry. (laughs) And, And sometimes it's just, it's just having them there. And 
I'm sure on both of their sides, like there's there's pieces that they feel like because I feel like any family I was the only child, but every other family has siblings. They feel like any time not spent with them is being spent with the other and it's preferential and they're the favorite. You're not. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like your fear of being alone because they're just alone thinking, oh, dad's off with with my sister, I guess. They're having the time of their lives. I'm here with mom. <laughs> oh, so that, and that's what's, so it's hilarious in real time, like today, um, my son had, so again, my ex-wife and son are in school full-time right now. And my daughter's home because middle school's not back yet. Uh, and so like, he's coming, like he comes home every day in the last you know couple of weeks. And he's just been like, so what'd y'all do today? I'm like, she's been on her computer or FaceTiming her friends. Like I've had my meetings and Zooms and conferences and, and keynotes. But like, she's been and in his mind, he's thinking all they've done is play Mario Kart or jump on the trampoline or swing on the swing. I'm like, I, I'm over the weight limit for the trampoline and swing set, buddy. I'm not getting on those. <laughs> but it's that FOMO yeah. that everyone has, you know, and the irony is that I'm like, there are so many times that I got a lot of JOMO, right? Like I, rather than the fear of missing out, I got a joy of missing out when it comes to playing sports when it comes to like doing like coaching i'm a great motivator not when it comes to sports i can give a great motivational speech not when it comes to sports it's not a, it's not a it's not a skill set for me and i'm okay acknowledging that you're trying though that's that's all that matters <laughs> according to your daughter you're trying exactly right like bless your heart dad it's good good effort <laughs> And it's it's cool that she at least acknowledges and, you know, that's her way of saying thank you without, you know, being uncool and being daddy's girl. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I think a lot of that, too, is is how you decide to show up. And, and that goes with that whole fear of being alone, too. You know, like, are you going to just mellow and stew in that sense of aloneness? Or are you going to reach out? And so I even knew that I needed to do a lot more work on myself. And so I'm, I'm thankful with the healthcare that I do have that I pay for myself, but I'm thankful for the plan that I picked out for me that they waived all of the online fees for e-visits. So I go to therapy every week uh, for the last year and a half now. Um, and when the pandemic hit, everything was free online. And so I've not paid for a therapy visit, you know, the whole year. And that's been so incredibly helpful because we sometimes just need that person. And again, we're, we're people, we we're people, people, everyone needs a person somewhere. Sometimes we just don't know where to start. And so when you live alone and you've just got the kids and an ex-wife, it's like, I don't know where to start. I have friends. I got friends all across the nation. I don't have a lot of close friends in LA or just, in, you know, like super, super close friends. And that's, I, I struggle with that. I'm okay. Having a lot of friends makes me feel somewhat popular, but then like, who's your like two best friends. I was like, I don't know that I have like best bet. Like I don't have B B F F Fs, like none of that stuff. Yeah. It, and you had, it's a, it's definitely as you get older, like a balancing act. And I, I just, I have stand up, So it's, it's helped a lot like the, this or stand up Cause I started this during the, I was like, let me go ahead and put the wheels in motion like mm -hmm. I was doing this the whole last year, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do face to face with all these different people. I'm, I'm good on stage as far as to, but I don't know how I would do a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody mm. in a room. Like how would I, how would I ask them? Do I just ask them to come over? Where do we go? 
yeah. and then the pandemic hit my friends like yeah we just do it over zoom and i'm like huh i know how to because i know how to record phone calls because i can that's how i'm doing this is i have a phone call like recording a phone call basic setup on my recorder well, and that's, I mean, that's the irony. So like my, my friend group that I have, we do a happy hour every Thursday. Um, and I remember us, a couple of us just chatting and I was like, oh my gosh, I miss people. And this was mid-March, 2020. I was like, I just kind of miss people. And this was in April, a little bit further. I'm like, can we just please, can we please hop on a Zoom? The irony is that Zoom has existed as a technology for years before this. FaceTime has existed for years before this. We're just now having to become more reliant on it. And so I, I'm so... I'm fascinated by like what's going to happen as we all re-enter whatever sense of normalcy is because we've got all this. And I'm like, but dear friends, can we please still stay connected? Like <laughs> just, just because we only saw each other twice a year before the pandemic, can we please still keep some semblance of maybe every other week, a happy hour? Yeah. Um, because, you know, and some of them are like, Oh, you know, like we're got, we got pregnant. We're having a kid. And some are like, Oh, well we got engaged. And I'm like, I still live alone. <laughs> Can we please talk so that I don't feel as alone? And saying that sometimes is like, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had one, I had one friend. What a dick. I had one friend who was like, after everything shut down, I lost a lot of business. When you're a public speaker and they take away the public, you're out of a job for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I remember him saying on a Zoom, he was like, oh my gosh, like, y'all, this is the best thing ever. We're all getting paid to stay home. And I looked, I got super close to the Zoom and I was like, not everyone's getting paid to stay home right now. Sorry, that came out like a bit of an a-hole, but we have to acknowledge that everyone has different like experiences. Everyone else, and I pointed to everyone, I was like, all of you have partners. Like literally your partners are on these calls with you. And in those moments of like, look, I'm just trying to, to say that we all have, like we're showing up differently. And I'm trying to say that I feel alone is how I'm trying to say it. Uh, and they were like, wow, I hadn't thought about it. So sometimes people just aren't thinking because they're just living their life and there's nothing wrong with it. But I think had I not said, number one, not everyone's getting paid. Number two, I'm still alone. Like just you, you hang up and you've got your partner still here, (laughs) still here, still broke. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully it's all picked up virtually and, you know, starting to get some in-person things too, but you know, slow and steady wins the race. So do you, would you, if you had a choice between your virtual, what you've done virtually, or would you do public again, like immediately? God, I miss in person. Okay. So there's, God, there's a pros and cons to each. Okay. So I'll do very quick pros of virtual. I am in sweatpants 24 seven. Like that is an incredible feeling. I love it. I will miss that the most when it comes to it because, and some of it is like, I could do two, three keynotes a day here virtually and never have to worry about a plane. That's a great bonus that I'm going to miss. The in-person is similar. I'm sure you feel the same way as a stand-up. There's just something about that in-person vibe. There's something about the energy that's a little bit more electric. And I think with, with some of my keynotes, they're very story-driven. So I want to be able to see everyone so that I know that if I've got you, because I told you some good jokes, or I've got you because of a good story, and when I hit, and when I hit you with that like pin drop moment, that I got you. But on a Zoom, most people have their cameras off and they're not laughing because they're muted. And so it's hard to do that. So I feel almost more exhausted from a virtual setting. So I do miss the in-person. I miss the routine of flying, Mm -hmm. of getting to the gig. I miss, you know, like a lot of that I do miss. Knowing full well, I'm going to complain about all that again once I'm having to fly and wake up at 4 a.m. for the flight. And I'm going to, sure, I will most likely complain about all that. 
But I miss the conferences. I miss seeing people, hugging people, you know, consensually hugging people. I, m- I miss a lot of that. And, and I'm, I'm excited for that again. I'm glad your, your fear of being alone doesn't dictate your hugging. Like, I'm just afraid to be alone. Just let me, let me hug you before I get on this like, flight. One more human I contact. Do, there are some people that I hug a little harder and tighter because I'm like, I miss you. Like, I miss you, friend. I miss you, friend. Can we please see each other before the next six months is up? <laughs> it's just... I think part of it just comes back to how are you going to openly connect with your friends, with your family, with others? Uh, and I think I finally started to say more out loud, this is how I'm feeling. And by the way, like I, I still feel isolated and which is, I feel like isolated is a little different than alone, but they they are obviously very related and it's easy to feel isolated in the midst of everything. I know that one of my goals post pandemic mm-hmm is to truly reach out and to keep the connections going as opposed to just being like, Oh, everyone went back to normal. And so I really want, and again, that's the desire of not being alone. I want us to continue to be connected to to different people. And see, that's a great outlook. Like I, I feel like a lot of people just ho-hum kind of don't want to impose or mm-hmm. seem like a burden that, to hang out with by not saying that stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I got a buddy of mine and we joke and he's like, one of his biggest fears is being a burden to others and his friends. And I like that resonates. Like, I, I know that feeling. I know what he means, which is why I rarely reach out. But then if I feel alone and if I'm scared of being alone, but never reach out to anyone, then I'm the one that's the problem here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a common denominator and it's me in the mirror when I have to look there. Right. Like, that's it. Well, it, it, I call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be alone, you know, and then you, you make all these choices to be alone and you're like, but you're making that conscious decision. You're making, a, you're making a conscious decision to realize, okay, this isn't, you know, I'm a, I don't like this feeling. So I'm going to make sure that people know if I am feeling something that they know. So it's not a surprise mm-hmm. when I have. Yeah, from holding it in because it's like so, how many people just are, you know, sobbing on a phone and you can't get to them because they've waited till literally the breaking point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, but that comes back to you know, are you vulnerable enough to say, "Hey, I'm having a horrible day. Can someone please hop on the phone?" Like I've done that a couple times where it's like, "Y'all, rough day. Can we please hop on a happy hour?" And I'm not even like trying to bury my sorrows in a drink. I'm like, I just need to see someone because it's been three weeks or, you know, like what I was like, I just need to connect on a non-superficial level. And, and that's the vulnerability I think that more people need to exhibit of, of just saying, Hey, I'm not okay right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and can someone please help me process? Well, that's awesome. I, and again, it's unapologetically authentic. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say I'm sorry for feeling this way. I, cause some people will too. Like, I'm sorry that I'm you know, like your friends, like I'm afraid of being, I'm sorry, being a burden. That's, that's where unapologetic comes in. Like at certain points in your life, it's survival. Like depression is a survival instinct. It's something telling you something's wrong. It may not be a saber tooth tiger chasing you in a cave, but it's something that is saying, do something otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing when I started feeling depressed and stuff, as I started to try to Okay, what am I? What's going on in my surroundings? Am I not doing something? Do I need to? What can I do to take my mind off of what's going on up here? Yeah. 
and it's literally what I call lizard brain, just reaction. Mm -hmm. Your body is sensing you're, you know, a threat and it may not be a physical threat, but it may be mental or emotional threat that it's now starting to defend itself. And it's like, okay, it's got you on high alert. Well, and, and that's, I think comes back to showing up, but, but allowing yourself to also be that person for others. Right. So, cause if I'm always taking and I'm like, Hey, I need, I need attention. I need attention. I don't want to be alone. Like, please come, it's like, come show me attention. But if I'm also then not offering it up when someone else needs it, then I am a hypocrite. Uh, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I think finding those moments to say like, well, what can I do for you? Thank you for showing up for me. How can I show up for you? Do you need a motivational speech before you go to bed? Like what, how can I help you right now? <laughs> um, I think part of that just comes back to who are you talking to and are you, do you have that rapport with them? Right. So, I mean, think about, think about like Thanksgiving and family meals or, or like holidays and stuff like that. There's a reason that your uncles and that your aunts and that your grandparents, and they just say whatever in the world is on their brain. It doesn't matter if it's way uncouth. They're going to say it. Why? Because in their age, they don't care. And they're going to be unapologetically authentic, no matter what comes out their mouth. That is what I feel like I'm learning earlier in life before I become a crotchety old man where I don't like get off my lawn, like for everything. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like, okay, now I can be myself. I can articulate some of my needs, but then I'm also at a point where I'm like, all right, it's not always about me all the time. What can I do for you? And how can I help you? And those, that has been, I think, really great for eye-opening just to say like, wow, there's a lot of people going through some stuff. And pre, like pre-pandemic, like people still going through some stuff. And now, if anything, it's exacerbated for everything of what we're feeling, but no one knows how to talk about it. Guys, especially, we suck at talking about feelings because really it's the the two emotions we can have are, are angry and sports or angry at sports, right? Like that's it. <laughs> and And we've never been given a lot of those skills to really unpack well, you know, vulnerability. Well, that's, you know, that's like, like that's sissy boy stuff. No, vulnerability is hard. And so if it's difficult, then it obviously it means that you have to mm -hmm. like unpack it and work on it. So that actually should make you more of a man to be more vulnerable because it is harder work than just shutting down. Yes. I thank you for doing this. That is a great way to kind of set this up for a close. Where can people find you? on social media and the internet if they wanted to either attend or I guess reach out for a speech. Uh, and happy to, happy to connect um, outside of just keynotes. I obviously offer a lot of different workshops. Um, I also do a lot of consulting and coaching work. I am Dan fail on everything. So at D A N F A I L L. So yes, fail is my last name. Yes. It's got two L's. So Dan fail uh, on all the social media. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of it's Dan fail. And then the website is danfail.com. So you're like me, you have a unique last name. So I was yep. able to 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 hold Ryan Perio because it's P E R R I O. I'm like, oh, nobody, nobody but me. Well, the irony: someone has. So, dear all listeners, don't use Dan Fail at Gmail. Someone beat me to it, and so I don't own the Dan Fail at Gmail. And I'm sure that person, whomever it is, is getting a lot of different random emails uh, that are meant for me. So I'm wondering how many gigs are in his inbox or her inbox, but. Dan fail on the website. There's an email link there, all the good stuff. But you know, sometimes you just got to act quick on those names and web, and web domains. Yes. 
I I'm lucky that I can move slow because no one nothing really. <laughs> there's very little of my family, and I'm kind of in the in the black sheep section of my family group. So it's like very small group of people that get online. Mm-hmm. I thank you again for doing this, Dan. It's been a great conversation. I'd love to have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, no doubt. And if you ever need anyone else who has fears, I I know a lot of people who disclose their fears to me and maybe they will disclose them to you as well. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I'm always looking for that. Perfect. Ryan, I, again, I thanks so much, man. I, I appreciate it. Thanks again. Of course. Take care. So that was Dan. Very fascinating fear and how I love how he accepts it and actually vocalizes and makes known his emotions and needs so that they can be met. That's something I really struggle with as a person, that I usually try not to burden people with my emotions and I try to just solve things in-house rather than actually say to friends and loved ones, hey, I'm feeling lonely. I'll mask it. And it's one of my it's one of my flaws. Like it takes a it takes a lot of courage to do what Dan does and to actually admit and be vulnerable. And I think that it that it is true. And what a great way to end the conversation than to discuss admitting being a vulnerable human being. You can follow Dan at, at Dan Fail. That's D-A-N-F-A-I-L-L on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can also check out his website, danfail.com, if you are interested in maybe having a speaker at your venue. Dan does a great job. I love the unapologetic authenticity that he speaks with. And we had a great conversation. I had a great time. And... I thought we really hit it off. Thanks again to Dan. And this week was fun. I had some okay sets at Hyenas in Dallas and at Backdoor this weekend. Next weekend, I last week, I made a point to try to be more aggressive about getting myself booked at comedy venues across the country. And I made my first inroads, hopefully, into a new comedy club scene. I reached out to Jeff Jones of the Looney Bins Comedy Clubs, which are in Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Wichita, Kansas, and Little Rock, Arkansas. And he had a he had an opening for next week, so I will be in Oklahoma City next week, starting on Wednesday, the 14th all the way to Saturday. I'll be featuring for BT, which is a headliner. Should be a fun time. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to really go for this comedy thing. You can, if you are in the Oklahoma City area, by chance, check us out and at the Looney Bend Comedy Club. It's Looney Bend Comedy Clubs. Um, just check out the Oklahoma City location. After that, I have a booking in May for a live podcast, potentially. Um, Sarah Salee of episode 32 has 
an art show going on in Fort Worth at the end of May, and she's asked me to do live podcasts both nights. So I'm super excited to try my hand at that. Hopefully we'll get a couple episodes out of that, if not more than that. Appreciate all y'all who have listened to the podcast. Please, if you do like the podcast, leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Join the Facebook group. I'll start conversing as soon as I possibly can. And I look forward to to new episodes. I've got a bunch of episodes in the can. I'm going to try to maybe record some while I'm in Oklahoma City. Thank you guys for listening. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there, and you can check me out at RyanPerio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.